Greetings, greetings, Ape Army. I'm back. We're back with another episode of the Act Protect Engage podcast. I'm your host, Mr. Chase H, the CEO of Act Protect Engage. I'm happy you guys could join us for another informative and meaningful discussion today about the Second Amendment. This beat is by Mr. Organic Dope, one of the best producers out of Philly, man, childhood friend. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you so much, my brother, for these amazing tunes. God bless y'all. Ooh, we got the keyboard, the piano. Uh, All right, all right, all right. I love starting the podcast with some really, really cool beats, some great music by my friend. Thank you so much. We appreciate you. And I appreciate you guys for tuning in again. Thank you so much for sending the Ape Academy International. First things first, I want to thank all the supporters, all the listeners. Thank you so much for believing in us believing in our vision, believing in our message, okay? I really, really want to give a special thanks to all my international listeners uh, for giving us a shot. You know, I know I might be a goofy American, but we still share some common values no matter what country we're from, no matter what race we are, no matter what background we're from. So we speak the same language, the human language. So thank you so much, guys, for giving me a chance. Um, It means a lot to me to talk to you guys and spread some knowledge and just talk, have a conversation with some like-minded individuals. I really appreciate that. All right. Also, we have two sponsors as usual, okay? We have the USCCA. We all know what that is now, I, I hope. The United States Concealed Carry Association, okay? The number one. Concealed Carry Second Amendment organization in the U.S. Please join. Check them out ASAP. Also, our second sponsor, Bravo Concealment Holsters, at Bravo Concealment on IG, bravoconcealment.com. They offer the world's best inside the waistband, outside the waistband holsters, tactical belts, tactical mag pouches and a lot of other goodies okay use code ape10 ape10 at checkout to get 10% off all right so I stumbled through that without too many mistakes thanks for uh, sticking in there with me all right so what are we talking about today we're talking about ammunition today's podcast is entitled Ammo 101, the caliber debate part one. Although this isn't really a debate, let's just call it the caliber discussion part one. Um, a really, really important part of self-defense with concern to the Second Amendment is choosing a caliber, all right? Choosing our type of gun that we want to carry. What is the ammunition? What are we going to carry? What is our plans for? What what are our uses for the firearm? Okay, and all this kind of ties in nicely with ammunition. All right, because remember, a gun—the gun that we carry—is only a small part of our overall self-defense plan and strategy. All right, so we need to formulate an overall overarching self-defense plan okay it's not enough to just go to a store buy the coolest looking gun for the best price you can find buy 50 rounds of ammo shove it in your safe and that's your plan no the firearm itself is a small puzzle piece of the puzzle I should say I'm sorry piece of the puzzle and fits into a larger plan It's one piece of a large puzzle, 
Does that make sense? And that's why people have different firearms for different things. Whether it be a long gun for, you know, multiple attackers, multiple assailants, a pistol for the house, uh, an EDC gun that's maybe different from their home defense weapon. We all need to have some type of plan in place so that when an emergency situation or dangerous situation, God forbid, happens to us, we're prepared, all right? Um, it's really, you know what I've noticed? It's really only the gun guys, right? The gun nuts, as I call them, who really obsess over caliber, okay? You ever been, and I, <laughs> I'm sure a lot of us have who listen to the podcast, have you ever been on a thread, whatever, Reddit, on YouTube, you go down a rabbit hole and you start kind of reading the comments and you start kind of diving into these these heated debates within the Second Amendment community about caliber and which one's stronger, which one has more stopping power, which one's cooler. People get really nasty about this type of stuff. I never understood why. You know, it kind of descends into chaos really quickly people start calling each other names can get pretty freaking nasty no need for that all right and this is why in reality in real life in the real in the real world not the movies and not hollywood if you conduct your business your daily routines in a in a manner that allows you to be alert and situationally aware if you go about your day in a general state of readiness it will lower your chances of ever having to even use that gun exponentially all right i mean if you walk around in a state of readiness the chances of you ever having to even pull that gun are really small right and even in the situations where people do draw their guns or do have to deploy their firearms the percentage of those incidences that shots are fired are even lower all right and i know that the internet and social media has allowed us to spread videos and i think it's good for, you know, to raise general awareness about things. But we have to remember that these videos, these circumstances are very, very rare in general. Okay, we're talking, if you look at their overall number of violent crimes and incidents, the number of crimes and attacks where actual shots are fired are very, very low. Okay, so we have to keep that in mind when we talk about um, what type of gun you need, what caliber is better? What caliber is the worst? Listen, ultimately, it's going to depend on the person, on the individual, on what they need it for, and a lot of other factors, which we'll discuss today. But we need to just keep that general theme in mind, okay? That doesn't mean that you don't need the biggest, baddest caliber. It just means that when we, when we debate people, quote-unquote, <laughs> keyboard warriors and, quote-unquote, keyboard debaters, I call them, pseudo-intellectuals, um, want to go back and forth with each other and yell at each other and call each other names just remember let's keep grounded in reality let's look at the facts look at the stats and then make a more informed discussion how about that alright you sticking with me alright first things first for all my rookies out there and you know there might be some people who actually shoot who don't know this right let's talk about caliber what is caliber what does caliber mean so when someone says which caliber is better for all my beginners i want you to actually know what they're talking about what are they discussing when they say caliber right so the caliber of a round is the measurement of a bullet's diameter so when we talk about uh we have a 40 caliber round what we're really talking about is a measurement we're measuring we're measuring the bullet's diameter it can be measured in both inches or millimeters, okay? For example, 
a 45 ACP. You know, everyone talks about the 45 ACP being the best handgun around ever invented, right? The diameter of a 45 ACP is 0.451 inches, all right? Compared to a 9 millimeter, whose diameter is 9.01 millimeters. That's why 9 mil is 9 mm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Millimeters, okay? So we have to remember when we talk about bullets, the bullet is just the metal projectile. It's the tip of the round, right? It's not the entire shell casing that you see. You ever been to a gun range and you guys see all the shell casings on the floor kind of scattered over the ground? That's the brass casing, not the actual bullet. The bullet is what makes contact with the target. It's just the metal tip of the round. Make sense? All right, cool. We got that out of the way. <laughs> All right, let's go into this. Mr. Joe approves. If you haven't uh, met Mr. Joe, go to my profile on IG, uh, Ape Academy, at Ape Academy, and check out Mr. Joe. Mr. Joe's from uh, Mobile, Alabama. He's an older gentleman, and he loves our show. He was really looking forward to this debate, or <laughs> this debate. Well, I called it the caliber debate in the beginning, but it's really just a caliber discussion. He was really looking forward to this, so we're about to dive in, all right? All right, so ammunition fundamentals. Oh, we have a few sources for this podcast. GunDigest.com, Gearzo.com, the silicone, the silicone, silicone, <laughs> silicon Valley Review, and of course... The NRA Basics of Pistol Shooting Guide. Okay. So, I took an NRA class many, many moons ago when I was first starting. And they they handed out a really, really cool little booklet with a lot of good information in it. So, I do my research when I do my podcast. Although I do know this stuff off the top of my head. It's always good to have some backup, um, you know, some backup numbers and stats and all that stuff all that good stuff okay so ammunition fundamentals okay there's so okay so nowadays there's so much focus on how cool the guns look how much you know tissue will they penetrate what's the best caliber for stopping power i think some folks have kind of forgotten the fundamentals of actual uh, ammunition design, right? What are the components of ammunition? We're talking handguns, obviously. But they're very similar even into rifles. All right. And um, this, the construction of the, cartridge, of the, of the uh, cartridge ultimately determines the performance of it. All right. And there are a few types. There's two main types, actually. The center fire and the rim fire. All right, two types: center fire and rim fire. Make sense? Where they differ is in the location of the pressure-sensitive priming mixture that ignites the gunpowder when the firing pin strikes the case head. Let me make that make sense. So. If you if you're in front of your uh, if you're in your room right now and you have ammunition present, first of all, make sure your weapon is clear. If you have a nine mil, doesn't matter nine forty whatever. Pick up your round, turn it over. Look at the back of the round. All right, you see the middle of the round. There's a little area that's kind of like isolated right in the middle. That's that's kind of sticks out. That's the primer. All right. So the primer is important because the primer is what ignites the gunpowder. For center fire cartridges, the primer is right in the middle, okay? It's right in the middle of the cup. The cup is the bottom of the round. So what happens is the firing pin, when you pull that trigger, there's a mechanism called the firing pin in every single semi-automatic 
actually every single gun, period. There's a, something called the firing pin. In a center fire weapon, when you pull the firing pin, a center fire weapon, a center fire round, when you f pull the firing pin, the pin drops, it hits the primer in the back of the round. Okay, and it hits the middle of the round. Does that make sense? Okay, I hope it does. <laughs> Rim fire refers to ammo that where the primer is ignited by the firing pin crushing the base's rim. This requires the case to be very, very thin. So that's why rimfire cartridges can only hold low pressure rounds. Rimfire is 22. 22 long rifle is a rimfire round. So rather than the firing pin striking the middle of the back of the round, the primer is located in the middle for center fire. For rim fire, the firing pin crushes the base's rim. So there's a rim of the round where the primer is, is focused on, is focused. The firing pin hits the outside of the rim, which is why it's called rim fire. Okay? It's cheaper to manufacture. Rim fire is cheaper but it's much less reliable, okay? Meaning that not all rimfire rounds are created equal. Depending on the manufacturer, some manufacturers, they have great rounds. Some that try to cut corners and kind of make them a little bit cheaper, you might have a bunch of misfires. You might have a bunch of malfunctions. It just depends. And that has to do with how the cartridge is made. Where the primer is stored, is stored in the rim instead of in the middle, okay? I hope that made sense. I think it did. It sounded like it did. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out and message me, okay? But all you need to know basically is there's two different types of rounds, center fire and rim fire, okay? Too easy. All right, so let's also talk about what's inside each round, okay? Like we talked about before, we got a few different components. We got the bullet, we have the case, we have the powder, and we have the primer, okay? The bullet, remember, is just the metal tip of the round. That's all it is. The case is the brass outside layer of the round, okay? So that's the thing that's scattered all over the floor of the range, the case. They're either made of steel or brass. Mostly it's brass. Um, but during the ammo shortage, there's a lot of steel available. Brass was really, really hard to find. So I have a bunch of steel rounds just laying around. The powder is what causes the explosion. Okay, The powder in combination with the primer. All right. So the powder is, is a bunch of gunpowder packed into the round. And what they do is they measure out the amount of powder into each round. So each caliber has a different amount of powder that's put into each round, all right? And the primer, what that does is, is ignites the powder, causing the explosion, shooting the projectile down the barrel of the gun and out of the muzzle, okay? Make sense? Too easy. Let's talk about performance and recoil, okay? so. Everyone says recoil, 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 recoil. What is it? So first things first, when it comes to recoil, we got to talk about bullet weight, okay? Bullet weight is measured in grains. Bullet velocity is measured in feet per second. So remember when I did those videos, I don't know if you've seen them or not on my IG page, I was kind of breaking down each round. Bullets have different weights. Okay, so the lighter bullets, i.e. 22 long rifle versus the heavier ones, i.e. 45 ACP or 10 millimeter, they have different grains. Okay, so uh, let's say a 45 ACP, I don't know, 230 grain. A 9 millimeter might be 110 grain, right? It just depends. Does it make sense? 
they're measured in grains, the bullet weight. The velocity is measured in feet per second. How fast does that bullet exit the muzzle? That's bullet velocity. These factors play a huge role in determining the amount of force or energy that the bullet will strike the target with. The higher the muzzle velocity, the faster the round. Okay? Too easy. You press down on that Corvette, that gas pedal is going to hit the wall a lot faster than a freaking minivan. Okay? A Corvette can travel a lot faster than a minivan. And the impact will be greater when it hits the wall because it can move faster. All right? Make sense? Larger or faster bullets create more energy, and you feel this energy through felt recoil. Now, what also goes into this is the size of the weapon. Usually, if you're trying to pack a really powerful round into a small pistol, like a 45, let's say you, 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 you uh, decide to carry a compact 1911 with 45 ACP. The 45 is a big, powerful round. The recoil is going to be a lot higher in that short barrel than it would be in a full-size 1911 with a longer sight radius and a longer barrel. Okay, because the muzzle energy has nowhere to go. When you pull that trigger and the firing pin drops and ignites that gunpowder, the bullet travels a shorter distance with a short-barreled weapon than a long-barreled weapon. A long-barreled weapon does a really, really good job in kind of balancing out that muzzle energy, that bullet energy, which allows you to not feel as much recoil. Even if you're shooting a 10 millimeter, which is a really, really big kind of bear hunter gun, bear hunter uh, round. If you have a big enough pistol, it will feel like you're shooting a 22. If you try to pack a 10 millimeter into a freaking three inch freaking barrel, it's gonna kick out of your hand. All right? It just depends on the size of the weapon, the heaviness of the bullet, and the caliber of the bullet, how much recoil you're gonna feel. 22s have almost no recoil because they have a very kind of low energy, um, low velocity caliber, okay? The heavier the handgun, the more freaking recoil it will soak up. Make sense? Ballistic performance. Ooh. Look, guys, I know there's a lot of nerds out here that are going like, well, Chase, you're breaking it down way too basic. I'm like, this is for the basics. This is for the beginners. All the people who know everything about ammo probably aren't going to listen to this. <laughs> and I'm not a freaking expert on ammo, man. Listen, honestly, to me, you we need to know this because it's important to know what the heck you're buying. You should not just go to a store and say, oh, uh, and ask the guy, hey, what do you think I should buy? And he goes, I think you should buy a 10 millimeter. And you have no idea what that is. And you buy this expensive $800 10 millimeter that every time you pull the trigger, it jumps out of your hand. You need, We need to know, and you need to know, the basics about ammunition so that we can make informed freaking decisions on what we want to buy so we can be informed gun owners. Remember, gun ownership is a responsibility. We got to know what the heck we're doing because guess what? Lives are on the line. Believe it or not, like it or not, when you carry that gun, when you put that pistol in your waistband and you cock it and you send that bullet into the chamber, if something happens and someone approaches you and tries to take something from you, you could take their life and you need to know at least what you got on you. You know what I mean? All right, let's talk about performance real quick. We're not going to spend too much time on this because it's advanced and I just kind of want to get through it so we can get to the nitty gritty good stuff. And that's in the next section. Okay, so ballistic performance. Ballistic gel tests are used to compare performance of different calibers, okay? The ballistic gel um, experts, you know, the FBI, law enforcement, they use it as a replacement for human tissue because it's very similar to human tissue. It's a very 
um, very similar and has a lot of the same qualities. All right. The FBI recommends at least 12 inches of penetration in order for a round to be effective. In order for FBI agents to go out into the field with a trusted firearm, in order for them to go out with a certain firearm, that firearm has to have a good ballistic performance record. All right, so whatever caliber they're carrying, whether it be 40, 9mm, 45, whatever, it has to pass the FBI standard, which is at least 12 to 18 inches of penetration. 12 being the minimum, 18 inches being the maximum. Less than 12 inches might not reach the vital organs, right? So you might shoot someone and it might not give them that death, bl that death blow. It might not cut through the kidney. It might not cut through the liver. It might not penetrate the heart, right? It might not even get there. So what they're looking for is stopping power. They want to shoot somebody and they want to do damage quickly. Okay, they don't want to shoot you a hundred times and you keep you keep going and you die two hours later. They need to, you know, for their uses, for their agents in the field, apprehending subjects, fighting terrorism, serving search warrants, protecting the nation, which is what they do. They need good performance, great performance out of their sidearms. Okay, so that's their standard. Um. More than 18 inches of penetration will go straight through. There's a good chance that the round will go straight through the target, and that's just as bad as you shooting someone and it not penetrating. Going through them is almost, is almost as bad as not reaching the organs. And that's what a lot of people kind of complain about with the uh, 5.56 caliber, which is the uh, rifle caliber that our uh, U.S. military uses in combat, is that 5.56 travels too fast and it goes straight through the target the target doesn't even know they're hit half the time and they die later you know people get shot 10 20 times keep fighting then they scurry off and die in a gutter somewhere so you know that's that's the FBI standard for their handguns rifles is a whole different topic we can get into um, so there are two primary types of bullets there's FMJs and there's hollow points FMJ stands for full metal jacket, and they have a soft core encased in hard metal. Hollow points. Hollow points uh, at the tip are at the tip of the projectile, and it's hollow, right? It's hollow at the tip of the projectile. Excuse me. Um, they're designed to expand on impact. This expansion increases the diameter of the projectile as it passes through the target, inflicting damage on a greater scale because it's affecting a larger area so let me break this down Barney style for you with a hollow point you shoot something it expands breaks apart and it tears you up its goal is to tear apart your internal organs to create as much internal hemorrhaging as possible because what it does is it creates vacuums vacuums of blood right blood flows into it rips apart tissue that's what hollow points want to do FMJs are really just target rounds. Now, don't get me wrong. They can murk you just the same. But they're not created to expand on impact. They're created to pass through. All right? They're more of a training round. Hollow points are highly recommended for self-defense. They're really self-defense rounds. You should not go to the freaking range and blow through 100 hollow point rounds. Guess why? Because they're about twice the price of FMJ, and they're not designed for that. That's just, that's just wasting ammo. What you do is you go to the range, you run a, a, maybe three or four hollow points through your EDC weapon or through your home defense weapon to make sure they cycle, to make sure they work, and then you switch back over the full metal jacket for the rest of the training session. Okay? That's my suggestion. All right. So, so we're at 30 minutes. A quick freaking 30 minutes. Man. Uh, I'm going to take a quick musical break, musical interlude. Join me in a minute. Ape. We are back from the lightning quick musical interlude. 
Thank you for joining me. Trying to explain fairly complex topics in a podcast is not easy. But we need to know the basics and we need to understand what we're buying and what we're carrying around. And that's important. Alright guys. So, this is the good part. Okay? We're going to talk about the four fight stoppers. Alright? And this is according to gundigest.com. The four things that will stop a fight. And this is really what we're looking for when it comes to the caliber debate. When it comes to picking and choosing our ammunition and our firearm. What can we do to stop the fight quickly, cleanly, and efficiently? We don't want any mess. All right? We want to try to end, like a boxer, like an MMA fighter. We want to try to end the fight soon. If we can go home and look like we just woke out of bed, we just walked out of bed and didn't even, you know, even train hard, we're not even breathing heavy, that's that's ideal. That's kind of what you want to do in a gunfight, right? You want to be armed with something that you know for a fact will do damage. And combine that with training, combine the proper caliber with the proper gun, with the proper training and training routine, and we're good to go. Oh, and don't forget mindset too on top of that. So we got caliber, the right caliber, the right gun, right? The right training routine and the right freaking mindset. When we have those things, all those factors combined, we're good to go. We're ready. All right. So we're going to talk about the four fight stoppers. First things first, according to the FBI, like I said before, a bullet should deliver at least 12 inches of penetration to be considered for field use by their agents. First things first, number one, the number one fight stopper, damage to the central nervous system. A Basically, a bullet to the brain. In general, a bullet to the brain will result in a total system shutdown. You guys ever seen Walking Dead? <laughs> I always use this example. You aim for the head, to shut off that brain. That's the only way to kill them. Humans aren't zombies, obviously. But I'm going to tell you what. Shooting for the head and hitting the brain will shut a computer off. And I don't really care if you're 300 pounds or 10 pounds soaking wet. I don't care if you got body armor or not. Once the brain is damaged and it, you know, it, it, it fries the brain, the body follows. Because it shuts down the entire central nervous system. We cannot function without our brain. We cannot function without our brain because it controls our central nervous system, our movement, our breathing. Everything you do is controlled by your brain. Your pulse, your heartbeat, your breathing patterns, walking, talking, moving, blinking. Without your, without your central nervous system, you'll forget how to eat. You'll forget how to move. You'll forget how to blink your eyes. You'll forget how to see. So... When the brain is, is damaged badly or completely uh, obliterated, the body follows, okay? But remember, uh, a simple headshot is not the same thing. People survive headshots, quote-unquote headshots. And to be honest, most of them are superficial wounds. Like if someone gets shot in the head and, and it doesn't hit their brain and it doesn't uh, short-circuit them, they'll probably survive, um, you ever heard of people getting shot in the quote-unquote head and they get grazed or they get just kind of shaken up and it results in a superficial wound? We have to be careful with that. That is why I tend to tell people to aim center mass. Aim center mass, okay? Don't aim for the brain because or aim for the head because you just don't know what you're going to hit, if you're going to hit the brain or not. If you aim center mass, you hit them in the heart, you hit them in the lungs, that's a good bet. That's a bet. That's the best bet for you. All right. Number two, support structure damage, massive damage to the structures in the body, like shattering uh, the leg bones, right? The femur, you know, injuring the spine, smashing the pelvis, etc. Okay, these areas, if you destroy them, the body will simply collapse right if you shatter someone's pelvis with a good hip shot to the girdle right to the hip girdle and you crush their pelvis with a bullet they can't stand up anymore 
all right? If you sever their spine, they can't walk. They can't get up. If you shatter their leg, they can't put any weight on it, okay? These are, these are targets that will incapacitate a person. Now, that doesn't mean their system is shut down. They can still hurt you from there. They can, if they can still move, they can still hurt you. Remember that. It's not the same as shutting down the central nervous system. Really what you're doing is you're like, say you have a table with four legs, you're smashing one of the legs and the table co collapses. That's essentially what you're doing with a structural um, hit, with structural damage. You're taking out a leg of the table so the table collapses. But you still have to make sure that the threat is neutralized. That doesn't mean you go over and give them a double tap to the head. What that means is be aware that they can still pose a threat to you even if they're down, even if they can't walk, even if they can't move their left side. They can still move their right side. They can still reach, reach for the gun. They can still crawl to, to get to another weapon. All right, so keep that in mind. Three, involuntary collapse. So this is partially luck, partially shot placement, and it partially depends on the individual. We don't really know what causes one person to collapse and one person not to. So you'll see videos of a, of a uh, suspect taking five or six shots. Fast forward to a different video that another, a different person will take five shots, will take three shots and go down right away. We don't know. Um, some, some people, some experts suspect that it's more of a pain thing, um, depending on your size, what you have in your system, um, just your kind of general mental uh, makeup, right? Your psychology. Um, some people can take more than others. We don't really know. Um, the pain overload, uh, the uh, neurological reaction to pain, to shock is different for every person. So we can't rely on involuntary collapse. We can't rely on shooting someone in the leg, in the foot, in the neck, in the shoulder, in the arm, and then just going, oh, I give up. It hurts too much. We can't rely on that. But that is a way that could stop the fight, right? Pain compliance, neurological reaction, pain overload. And of course, number four is death. The problem is death from a bullet wound usually takes time. Unless you, like I said before, do damage to the central nervous system, okay, immediately, right, shut off the brain, click that off switch, death usually takes a while. Um, not to be cold, not to be harsh, but when you get shot with a, with, um, if, well, when you get shot, depending on the caliber, and it does not immediately turn your brain off, most likely you will linger. Whether it be 20 seconds, 2 minutes, 20 minutes, or 2 hours, you'll linger for a little bit. So there's always a danger period. Even when you put someone down, let's say they're fatally wounded, they're still alive for up to 20 seconds. So they can still damage you. You ever seen in the movies where they think the bad guy is down and dead and he raises up and tries to shoot him one last time <laughs> and then they finish him off, right? They always turn around and... You know, it goes in slow motion. That, although that's Hollywood, that happens in real life. There's a, there's a moment in time between when the body realizes this, when you hit someone with a shot to when the person realizes they're hit and the body is able to now react to the damage. There's a period, there's a lull in between. And that depends on the person. That's why you'll see some people get hit and they'll run for 200 meters they'll run for a mile down the road and then collapse and die because when they got hit they didn't feel it when they start running 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 i'm no i'm hit i'm no i'm hit now they know they're hit and now their body starts feeling it the blood starts pumping they start bleeding out but it could take a long time for that to happen all right so be conscious of that so really what we want to aim for we want to aim for that damage to the central nervous system, right? The brain shut down the brain, aim center mass at the vital organs, the heart, the lungs, okay? Something that will shut that system down. Shove the spine, right? Structural damage. We want damage to the central nervous system and then we want structural damage. We cannot rely on involuntary collapse 
And we cannot just shoot them up and think they're just going to die because it's not going to happen. All right. You ever seen a you ever tried to kill a roach and you keep stepping on it? I'm not comparing humans to roaches, but I kind of am. Right. Human beings are tough. They're like roaches. We're like roaches. Right. It takes a lot to put us down. Right, so we can't rely on one or two shots. Okay, we have to have good shot placement and good caliber selection, and they go hand in hand. Make sense? All right, so real quick, let's go over a list of common handgun calibers. These aren't all of them, but these are the most common 22 long rifle, 25 ACP, 32 ACP. 380 ACP, 38 Special, 357 Magnum, 44 Magnum, 9mm, 40 Smith & Wesson, 45 ACP, 10mm, and 44 Special, the Dirty Harry Special. All right? Those are the lists of the most common. I kind of compiled a list of the most I've seen. And honestly, 25 ACP and 32 ACP are super old school and really aren't floating around much anymore. Those two rounds are mostly in those old school like single single shot pistols or two shot pistols. But you know what? If you guys have ever watched ID Discovery or Forensic Files, a lot of those murders I've noticed are done in like 25 ACP or 32 ACP. It's crazy. The smaller calibers can kill you. Do not get me wrong. I am not saying small calibers cannot hurt or kill someone. What I'm saying is, for our purposes, being responsible, armed citizens who care about our community, right, and who want to protect ourselves and our families, we want the fight to be over as quickly as possible. So we need to train the aim at the vital areas, train to create that structural damage and that central nervous system damage, okay? And 25 ACP and 32 ACP are small calibers. They can get the job done. But they're not always the best caliber for, caliber for every situation. And this kind of leads into the fact, into the discussion of why calibers are important. And these are in my words, right? This is, this is my personal opinion. Calibers determine the type of pistol, the size, the capacity, the punching power, the availability, the price, the, the way you can conceal it and the accessories available, right? The caliber determines all that. So choosing the right caliber is pretty, pretty crucial, all right? So we're about to discuss the 22 long rifle and the 9mm today, all right? And in the next podcast, we're going to talk about the 40, the 45, and the 10mm, okay? Um, I skipped over 380 because personally, I just like 380. <laughs> I really do. I really dislike the 380 caliber. I don't I don't see a whole lot of use for it. I think it's super expensive, overpriced and relatively useless. It'll get the job done though. I mean, don't get me wrong, man. It'll it'll murk somebody, but I feel like for defensive purposes there's so much better rounds. Like 9mm is far superior and cheaper. So it really makes absolutely no sense to get a 380. Um all right. So real quick, let's talk about the 22 long rifle all right, the weight. So we're talking from 30 to 40 grains, super light, right? The velocity, 1070 to 1600 feet per second. 1600 feet is hot. That's a hot 22 round. Uh, muzzle energy, we're talking about well, 100 to 105 feet per second. Oh, no, that's not muzzle. <laughs> yeah, okay, feet per pound, right? That's the muzzle energy, okay? The felt recoil is very, very low. Now, 22 is probably the most popular caliber in America. It's a long-standing favorite, and for many, many reasons, and good reasons too. It's the most common and the most popular. People have been using it for hunting rabbits, hunting ducks, raccoons, target shooting, uh, just for fun for generations. My grandfather was shooting 22s. His dad taught him how to shoot 22s. It's just a very, very popular, fun, common round. Um, it also is a is the round that kills 
the most people per year, more than all other calibers combined, believe it or not. Whether it be through accidents, through crime, whatever. Whatever the reason is, 22 caliber, 22 long rifle kills the most people. But I'll tell you what it's useful for. It's useful for teaching new shooters how to shoot. It's very, very useful for that. It's a very good round to kind of get kids familiarized with shooting. It's not scary. It's not loud. Um, it's very, they're very easy to operate. And they're fun because it's not intimidating. All right. Um, it's very cheap to shoot. Very cheap to shoot. I mean, you can buy, you can, and you can buy 2,000 rounds for, for nothing. And they're light and easy to carry. So in one of those uh, bug out situations that all the guys talk about on the internet, all the all the crazies talk about, you can throw two thousand rounds of twenty two in your bag, you won't even feel it. All right, not so much for forty five. Try lugging two thousand rounds of forty five ACP somewhere. Yeah, you're gonna ditch that pretty quick. And I always tell people that when I when I give them advice about calibers, I'm like, always think about the weight of the rounds. How many rounds can you really carry? Or are willing to carry? That's a big question. Ooh, okay, what we got? The 22 can definitely cause pain, right? So remember, we talked about the uh, involuntary, uh, involuntary fight stopper, the involuntary collapse, whether it be through pain overload or whatever. The 22 LR will definitely cause pain, structural damage, and can cause massive internal bleeding in a self-defense um, usage. And these things are all essential towards stopping an attack. Now, what it won't do is stop them right away. I'm not going to lie. Like, you shoot someone with a 22, unless you shoot at the right point, at the right time, at the right distance, in the head, it might shut down the central nervous system. But more, most likely, it's going to take more than one or two or three rounds. Right, and that's something you gotta consider when you get it for self defense. I'm not saying don't get it. I'm shoot having a 22 is way better than having your bare hands or having a bat or having a battle axe. Although battle axes are awesome, a projectile weapon, a long distance weapon is always better than having nothing. But as far as instant stopping power, it's not it. All right, but. Due to the fact that 22s are easy to shoot and to shoot very well, a defender who's trained and not, you don't have to be trained like John Wick. You can deliver multiple rounds to a small target area very quickly and very accurately. So that makes up for the fact that it's not as strong and not as powerful of a caliber because you can shoot more of them quicker, more accurately than let's say nine millimeters. There's no recoil. They're a lot easier to shoot and fun to shoot, which makes, which makes it easier for people to train on. It's a lot easier to train on a caliber when you have a really, really good time shooting it. So training time goes into proficiency. The more training time you have, the more proficient you're going to be, which means you can shoot it better, which means you can deliver more rounds faster and accurately, right? Also, 22s are by far the most concealable of all the guns. They're small, they're thin, they're light, compact. You can slip them into your gym pocket and no one will know. However, they're not the best choice overall for self-defense. But neither is being unarmed. So, <laughs> keep that in mind. It's interesting, though. Like, most people will tell you right away, like, as soon as you ask them, is 22 good for self-defense they'll say no 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 don't no it sucks for self-defense are you serious you're an idiot man you're a freaking simp you're a moron okay relax but these same people who tell you don't ever get 22 for self-defense will also say well they're good for kids to learn how to shoot they're good for the elderly they're good for women and they're good for the handicapped now ladies i'm not saying you guys are elderly or handicapped what i'm saying is that's what these people say. Like, oh, they're good for you know for your wife to learn, and they're good for like your daughter to learn, and they're good for like if you have an old grandma. It's like, well, so they're good enough for my grandma, 
my wife and my handicapped cousin to learn on, but not good enough for a 25 year old man. I don't understand. Like, is some people are some people better suited for certain calibers than others? I don't think so. No one wants to get shot by anything, let alone a BB pistol. I don't care if it's a rubber band. You don't even want to get shot in the face with a rubber band, let alone a BB, let alone a freaking 22. Did you hear that feet per second? Let me go back and, and read you what that travels on. A 22 caliber round travels at up to 1,600 feet per second. Do you want to get hit with that? <coughs> Excuse me. Anywhere? Listen. I'm not putting out any names out there, but I knew a guy in the army who shot himself in the foot with a 22 by accident. His foot was, his whole leg, specifically his foot, was in a boot for months. He couldn't do PT, he couldn't go on missions or anything. Permanent profile from a 22. It's imagine you get shot in the neck, imagine you get shot in the head, imagine you get shot in the face. No good. No one likes getting shot with anything, and no one likes a gun pointed at them. Because remember, most self-defense situations, you'll never even shoot around. The best bet for all my 22 folks is a medium to high velocity 40 grain bullet shot out of a longer barrel, if possible. This will provide the maximum muzzle velocity and the maximum amount of penetration possible for a 22 so remember the longer the muzzle the more muzzle velocity that it's going to leave the gun with also the longer the barrel the more accurate you can shoot it with and the heavier the bullet the harder it hits okay so 40 grains going to be in the, on the high side of the 22 and try to get the hottest round you can get which is uh 1600 feet per second all right Cool. All right. Finish up with 9mm. I got eight cool points to make about the 9mm. Uh, All right. First things first. Number one, it was designed originally for the Luger pistol in 1902. So the official designation for the 9mm is 9 times 19 parabellum. And this ammunition was actually designed as the companion to the pistol parabellum ammunition of 1902 the pistol parabellum is more widely known as the Luger okay that's why they call it 9mm Luger remember the Luger the German Luger pistols Luger is named after its creator George Luger he's an Austrian right he created the Luger pistol which we all know the Germans are famous for using production for the uh, 9mm began in 1898 and it was perfected in 1902, all right? Check this out. The 9mm travels faster than the speed of sound. It's quick and it's lightweight. The speed of sound is commonly measured at approximately 1,125 feet per second. The typical 9mm travels at 1180 feet per second, faster than the speed of sound. Faster than you can hear my voice, that bullet already hit you in the head before you were even, my voice would even reach you. That's all, that's, <laughs> I'm telling you, like, these modern day um, 9mm rounds, people say 9mm doesn't have the stopping power. 9mm has plenty of stopping power. The 9mm, the original 9mm had plenty of stopping power way back in 1902. Add this plus P ammunition, add all these fancy bullet designs and engineering that they have now. Oh yeah, they work just fine. Um, the 9mm really became popular in the 1980s. And this is when we really saw it start spreading far, uh, far and wide. It's the ammo of choice for the police across the nation for police departments across the country in 2007 Newsweek reported that 60% of ammo used by law enforcement is 9mm alright they're cheap easy to shoot low recoil plenty of options for firearms 
and they're small enough to fit in the smallest firearm, like a pocket pistol, and they can also work just fine in a larger pistol. They're, they're, they have ease of use, and they sacrifice nothing in power. So, like, the, with the 22s are super easy, super cheap, but they don't have any power, and they're unreliable. The 9mm is super cheap, super easy to shoot, not a lot of recoil, but they don't, it doesn't sacrifice any power, which is really, really important. That's, that's what makes 9mm so dope, and that's why it's my favorite caliber, is because it can do it all. It's, it's easy to shoot, it's accurate, there are options, there's all type of bullets, they're widely available, and guess what? They get the job done, all right? It's a great ammo for beginners and advanced shooters alike. So just like a 22 is great for beginners, a 9mm is just as good for beginners. And you could be as advanced as a Navy SEAL and SEAL Team 6 or on the level of your 90-year-old grandma who's never shot a pistol. It doesn't really matter. 9mm works for everybody. Obviously, I'm a 9mm guy. 9mm are commonly used by the military for training and... Uh, in exercises across the world, okay? So, 9mm was actually issued to us in Afghanistan for our Beretta 92s. So, those we use 9mm over there. Uh, I think the SEALs used the SIG 9s and Glocks. I think they had Glock 19s as well, which are all 9mm. Last but not least, 9mm is subject to a lot of upgrades and improvements due to its popularity and its wide distribution. So since it's so popular and sits and since 9mm is everywhere, there's all type of um, new improvements coming out. Seem seemingly every freaking month, there's a new bullet coming out. These companies are on it. They're able to design very, very advanced ballistics, right? Some of these new bullets that I've seen in the stores, they look like something out of a, sp a freaking spaceship, a Star Wars novel. All right, but they're nine mil. All right. All right, so this is it for me today. It's an hour. My throat's killing me, guys. Pause. Once again, thank you guys for listening. This is the first episode of Ammo One-on-One. We're talking 22s and 9 millimeter. all right? This is not for the ammo experts. These are for the beginners, guys, and anyone who wants to learn more, okay? Stay tuned for the second episode. We're talking 40. We're talking 45. Okay, talking to big dogs, man. Oh, we're also covering 10 millimeter as well. Thank you for joining me, y'all. Man, I, you know, I really, really appreciate it. Um, you know, we're working on this podcast thing, so bear with me, man. We're everywhere. We're in all these countries. I want to get into Japan. I want to get a little bit more into uh, South America. Help spread the word if you have time. Please like review and subscribe we would really appreciate it even if it's a two-word review great job dope podcast love it <laughs> all those things work man and oh make sure they're five stars okay four stars and eh, five stars is better god bless y'all stay safe stay vigilant train hard put god and your family first always be positive do not let anyone tell you you can't freaking do something thank you for joining us once again ape out